This morning is Bob Gann. He's a pastor in Aurora, and Bob usually is here about this time every year, so he's been here many times, and I know you appreciate his just commitment to the Word of God to preach verse by verse, book by book. I know Bob will do a great job. I also want to mention this. The FCA Weekend of Champions is this weekend. I know a number of you are signed up. Uh, Doug Langmeyer wanted me to remind you there's still time to sign up. And in fact, if you have not and you don't have commitments, let me encourage you to do that. I think Bob and I first met in the 70s at an FCA Weekend of Champions in Kearney many years ago. and We've been friends ever since. And I would say for the two of us, some of our greatest highlights in our young years was going to the FCA Weekend of Champions. So I really hope you'll take advantage of that. Uh, I know a number of students are signed up at the public school in town. Uh, we have a long ways to kind of catch that number. So uh, I'd like to think that we would have at least equal interest here with Nebraska Christian students as we would have at Central City Public. And again, it's not a contest to see who's got the most, but I really believe that it would be good if we could be there in full force as much as possible this weekend. So if you're thinking about it, don't think about it. Sign up, get a hold of Mr. Langmire, because I know he'd love to have you come. Let's welcome back Pastor, Pastor Bob Gannon. Well, thank you. We are in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 6. If you'll turn there in your Bible. And uh, thank you, Gordy, for, for that introduction. And yeah, FCA was, was a huge impact um, on my life. And uh, that's been years ago. <laughs> so anyway, <coughs> Gordy already read Scripture this morning. And, and so we're just, when, when you're dealing with narrative, you, you I love dealing with narrative. You, you just move right in and begin to go verse by verse uh, of what is happening. And so um, just praying that, that God would not allow his word to return void, but accomplish what he has intended as, as we look into it uh, this morning. I want to begin by going back <coughs> to verse 30. Um, <coughs> and I know uh, that was in last week's uh, <coughs> message, but verse 30 of chapter 6, says the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that, that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. And I, I can't emphasize uh, that, that enough of getting into a habit of, of having a secluded time where you are spending time in the Word by yourself with the Lord. And, and that may be in a quiet time and, and having those times whenever that may be best in your schedule, but having those times of, of, of secluded rest in Him. Jesus is going to do that in, in verse 46. He's going to go up the mountain and He's going to spend time with His Father. And, and there's that emphasis there. And he wants his disciples to find that rest. They have been involved in ministry, and he wants them to find that rest, and that rest can only be found in Christ. 
And, and that's what you need to understand, that, that that true rest can only be found in, in Jesus Christ and spending time with Him. And so, again, I can't emphasize that. I need to spend time personally every day with Him. For, and then I, I usually do an extended time every three months of at least just a day and a half of just spending time just with Him. And so Jesus is calling them to come away with Him to a secluded place where they can just rest in Him. And what happens? Verse 33, the people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. Got there ahead of them. Here's all this, this crowd who, who, who have already been, been taking the energy away from, from the disciples and from Jesus himself, and, and, and they're wanting to go to a secluded place, and here comes all these people, some of them coming, and, and they're already all put together, so it seems. Some of them who, who had maybe some physical issues because Jesus does some healing with them. Some with spiritual issues, emotional issues. Some thinking that they know what is best and, and coming across as, as if they have it all together or have all the answers. And you may know those people or you may be one that is like that. There's no place for seclusion. For most of you this morning, let me just tell you, it's not the crowds. It's your phone. It's your phone that keeps you from having a secluded time with Jesus. It's, it's spending time on, on social media. It's can you, the question is, is can you lay aside your phone, completely shut it off or put it in a place that you don't even hear it and have a secluded time with Jesus? Because see, the things that happen when, 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 when that takes place is, is there's always a text to read. There's, there's always an email to respond to. There's always a Facebook page to look at. There's always a podcast to listen to. There's always an item <clears throat> that you need to post. There's always a TikTok video that you, that you need to watch or a Snapchat that you need to look at. And it's always a step ahead of you. It is always a step ahead of you because you're always having to respond. You're always having to look at your phone. And, and it keeps us from a secluded time with Christ. And I just challenge you. I mean, here in this text, see, it is the people who are keeping them from a time of seclusion with Christ. And what is it in your life that keeps you from having a time of seclusion with Him? Now we come to this long passage. So, so that was just a free message right there, okay? Just a brief one, free one, won't charge for that one. But we come to this long passage, and, and, and you know, as I look at it, it's something that Charles Spurgeon would, would take at least a year to go through this passage that we're going to look at this morning because he went word by word. I go verse by verse, it would take at least two weeks, but we're going to try to do it here in a few minutes. So, so to go into a secluded place with Jesus. Now, 
I, I'm going to give you three things that, that we're going to look at. And, and you're going to see it throughout the whole text. A secluded time with Jesus is what you find is his compassion, his command, and his comfort. His compassion, his command, and his comfort. All right, let's look, let's look further into this. He, so he, when Jesus went ashore, verse 34, and he saw the large crowd, he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. The word here for compassion, <clears throat> I, I, I probably, I won't even try the Greek word. It, it's, it looks kind of like spaghetti, but bigger than that. But anyway, but in the New Testament, this Greek word for compassion was only used for Jesus. That's the only time that this word was ever used in talking about compassion was for Jesus Christ. And that is because it is such a deep felt in the pit of his stomach compassion, so deep it goes beyond what human empathy can even realize. What we can realize in, in our own empathy or even in our own concern for others. This is a deep rooted compassion that Jesus has for the crowd. And he saw them, and, and he immediately sees them, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that's exactly what they were. They were like sheep without a shepherd. If you go back to, to Ezekiel and chapter 34, <clears throat> in Ezekiel chapter 34, here we see the woes to the shepherds of Israel. All right, Ezekiel chapter 34, <clears throat> and, and beginning in verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? I mean, that's a rhetorical question. That's, that's what the job of the shepherd was to do. You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field, and they were scattered. I mean, this is a strong indictment against the shepherds of, of Israel's day. And when Jesus said, and he saw them, and he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, that's absolutely right. They've been without a shepherd for hundreds of years. They had no shepherd that cared for them. And here, when Jesus comes, and, and he is exhausted, and he wanted time just with his disciples in a secluded place, and he sees the crowd, it moves his heart to compassion because here are those who have had no shepherd, who have not cared for them. This is the care of a shepherd. And so, as you see, we're going to see this compassion of Christ. He taught them many things. He began to feed them. And, and the feeding was, was the Word of God, right? It was Jesus at his temptation 
He said, Thou, you shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Th- that that's what they needed. They needed the word of God to, to feed them, to spiritually lead and guide and direct their lives. And they had not had that for years. <clears throat> so Jesus is teaching them. And when he, it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it is already quite late. Send them away. Could you, could you imagine this picture? I, I, I mean, <clears throat> here's the disciples and, and, and they're, they're watching the sun go down and Jesus is teaching them because they are hungry. The crowd is hungry for the word of God. And Jesus is teaching them and, and it's like, they're trying to get his attention, you know. Yeah, I, I remember one time I was preaching, and, and I lost all track of time. And, and so all of a sudden I saw different people going like this, you know. And I thought, what? I, 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 I wasn't even fathoming it. Andy remembers that. And I think finally one of them just got up and walked up towards the front, and he goes. And I looked, and I thought, oh, wow, I'm already 10 minutes over. So anyway, they finally, obviously, get his attention. And, he, and they say, we have an idea here, Jesus. I mean, this is a desolate place, and there's nothing around to get food. Send them away to the surrounding countryside and to the villages so that they can buy something to eat, so they can be nourished with physical food. All right? Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat what like like you think we have something hidden in our robes and 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 there's this should we go spend 200 denarii on bread to give them something to eat 200 denarii would have been about eight months wages in that day eight months wages in that day 200 denarii to go buy food And, and so jesus says says to them how many loaves do you have go look I mean, go look and see what you have. And so could you imagine the disciples going up to people and saying, what's in your bag? Right? I, we were at Fort Robinson. I, that's throughout in western Nebraska with a family reunion. And so one of the kids, uh, young kids, spilled apple juice all over their hands, and, and it was all sticky, and so I leaned over to my sister, and I said, do you have any wipes, because she had a baby, and she goes, yeah, it's in the bag next to your brother Richard over there, so I said, oh, okay, so I walk over to my brother, and there's a bag sta- sitting there, so I grab the bag, and I unzip it, and I open it up to begin to look for these wipes, okay, and so, you know, there's this really nice camera in there, and so I pull the camera out, I set it down, and all of a sudden, there's a pack of cigarettes. And I thought, what in the world? I didn't know my sister or my brother-in-law smoked. That's crazy. So I take the cigarettes out, and there's other things, and I'm taking it all out, and I'm not seeing any wipes. And my brother's just sitting there watching me, you know? So I put it all back, and then I thought, well, maybe I missed it, right? Yeah, my, my wife calls it the Gannon look. You go and you look and you look and you think you're looking over everything. And you don't see it. And then she goes over and says, well, here it is. It's right here where you're looking. So I, I start to look again. And all of a sudden, this, this couple, I didn't even know them. And the guy goes, uh, um, that's our bag. 
And I said, I know. <laughs> but I'm not finding what I need yet. <laughs> and my brother says, he does this all the time. We have to watch him. <laughs> so anyway, could you imagine going up and trying to look through bags, right? Trying to find food. And, and so they come back. <clears throat> and they said, what do you have? And they found five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. And, and if you go to, um, to the book of, 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 I think it's in John, they were barley loaves. And, or, or Luke, they were barley loaves, which is, barley was, was for the poor people to make bread out of. And so the, this is a poor man's food. And they were small loaves and small fish. So basically, they found five Twinkies and two sardines. That's what they found. Five Twinkies, two sardines. Here we go. This is what we have. And uh, I mean, how, how in the world? I mean, Andrew even says, how's this going to be enough? Right? How are you going to... You, right? You're going to feed these, please? So Jesus commands, and so here we see this aspect of, of, of his command, and he commands them all to sit down. And they sit down in groups, right? And he has these five Twinkies and these two sardines, and he prays to the God, and he begins to pass this out to his disciples, and they begin to take it out, and they feed the whole crowd with these five Twinkies and two sardines. Right? And, and we know the story that after, after the dividing them all up, they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up, listen to this, 12 large baskets. I mean, you can fit a small man in these baskets. 12 large basketfuls. I, I, I think it's significant that there were 12 because Jesus wanted his disciples to see that as they picked them up, each one had a large basket that he is able to do beyond what we can think or imagine. And I don't know if you know that or if you understand that about Jesus, but he will do beyond what you think or imagine. But they're in this desolate place. There's no food. And sometimes you begin to feel, does anybody see me in this place? Does anybody know I'm here? I'm all alone. And... and what we see is that which Jesus does. <clears throat> Sometimes that's all you have to offer. Sometimes you are so spent. Sometimes there, you, you feel like there's nothing left within you and there's nowhere to turn. But that's when Jesus meets you in that secluded place. And he provides abundantly beyond what you need. And so... Paul wrote in, in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, God speaking to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. You see, in social media, people come across as if they have it all together, right? As if their life is perfect. And we want to come across as having it all together when, in fact, the majority don't have it. You don't see that. And the people in Jesus' day, they didn't have it all together. And the disciples didn't have it all together. 
But in this secluded, this desolate place with Jesus, his compassion came to the poor and the weak and the suffering and the hurting to those without a shepherd. They came to a secluded place with Jesus and we see his compassion and his command. We saw it right before he fed the 5,000 and telling them to sit down but it was a command over the whole crowd. And, and it, I know he gives the number of 5,000, and it says men who ate the loaves. It was just 5,000 men. It wasn't counting the women and the children. So some estimates are as high as fifteen to 20,000 people. Fifteen to 20,000 people that were there. And so Jesus, we see, has a command over the crowd. And in verse 45, he's going to send the crowd away at the end of verse 45. But notice what he does, too, with his disciples. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. Now, my question is, why? I mean, after this type of miracle and, and, and the excitement and the people seeing this of what Jesus has just done, wouldn't this be an opportune time to go into the crowd and begin to talk about Jesus and talk about what he could do in their lives and what he could do for them? Wouldn't, wouldn't there be a need for, for, for many to stick around and, and meet with the people who, who this has had an impact on? What, what is going on? Well, if you jump over to John chapter 6 and... and <clears throat> verse 14, <clears throat> it says, Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. I mean, they're, they're moving into this frenzy of taking him by force. That's what he goes on. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force and make him king, and he withdrew to the mountain by himself alone. He's perceived that they're going to come and take him by force and make him king. And the disciples getting caught up in that same frenzy. And they were only going to be fuel for the fire. Right? I mean, we have been with this guy forever. Finally, people are starting to realize this. Just think what this would do for us. And Jesus immediately tells them, you guys, get in the boat. And he made them get into the boat and go over to the other side. <clears throat> this is a, a fickle crowd. In verse 26, Jesus says, the only reason you're following me is because I gave you something to eat. And you want more of the food to eat. So you don't have to work, you don't have to do anything, and you just want me to be that nice concession stand that just continually covers everything you need. And so Jesus makes his disciples. The word here is such a strong expression. It, it, it has this urgency of, of pressure. And it pictures the disciples being very reluctant to leave. They didn't want to leave. They were like children on the playground when, when mom, and maybe you remember those days, and mom says, it's time to load up in the van, and you don't want to go yet. That's the picture of the disciples. Hold on, we don't want to go yet. No, this is, this is getting interesting. This is getting exciting. And, and Jesus corrals them forces them into the boat. Some say he probably even kicked the boat off the shore to get it going, getting them out of there. And, and so you see this, this command of Christ because he knows the hearts of men. And he corrals them. And, and after commanding the people and the disciples to disperse, Jesus goes up to a solitary place. He knows he needs secluded time with his Father. And he goes there to pray. That's what we see. 
And he goes there to pray. Who do you think he's praying for? Think he's praying for himself? God, this has been an exhausting day. I need more strength. I need sleep. Could you just give me some rest? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Therefore Christ is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Always desiring to make intercession for them. Jesus was praying for his disciples. He was praying for them. He knew exactly where they were. He knows exactly what is happening to them. And when you're secluded with Jesus, you know his comfort. The boat was in the middle of the sea. Matthew 14, 24 tells us that it was because the wind was contrary, that a storm had come upon the sea and was pushing the boat away from its destination. In fact, it had moved it to the middle of the lake, and they were three to four miles away from any place, trying to get to the destination that Jesus told them to go to. And they had already been rowing for about three hours, and they were getting nowhere. Where's Jesus when you need him? You ever feel that? Jesus, where are, I really need you, and it doesn't look like you're showing up. Where is he when, when, you, when you need him? He's praying for you. That's what he's doing. Psalm 139, <clears throat> in, in beginning in verse 7, says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. And if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to you. He, he sees them. And that, that's no matter what the storm may be in your life, he knows exactly where you are. In fact, in fact, here's the truth. You will never find yourself in a place that Christ cannot find you. You'll never find yourself in a place find you. That's a truth to remember all your life because there's going to be times when you're going to feel like you're in that place. But he knows exactly where you are. Look what it says. He sees them, right? They're three, uh, they're three miles away. Jesus, superly, I believe, sees them. He knows exactly what's going on. He sees them straining at the oars. He knows that, that they're, they're being worn down. You see, no matter the storm, some storms in your lives come from circumstances or situations that are around you, like a pandemic or, or an accident or an injury or a disease or an illness takes place that, that you don't expect. Sometimes storms come that way. Other storms can rage I- inside of us, anxiety, depression, uh, eating disorders, relationships with friends, or relationship with a boyfriend, or relationship with a girlfriend, or, or even possibly a relationship that has been compromised sexually, or enduring a home life that is perhaps chaotic. Maybe it's dysfunctional. Maybe, maybe you experience that every day. It could be from, from an addiction in your life, whether it's addiction to alcohol, or pornography, pain pills, pot, drugs, the storm of guilt or shame. The storm of, of hiding sin, 
and, and moves you into lying and deceit. Maybe it, it is stirred by anxiety for your future and, and not knowing where you want to go and what you want to do, and that keeps you up at night. Storms rage inside of us. Storms rage outside of us. That, that's, that's life here. Life in this world. And not all storms are a result of sin. What did the disciples do wrong here that, that caused this to happen to them? They didn't do anything wrong. What did they do? They simply obeyed. They were trying to obey Christ. They were trying to get to the side where Jesus told them to go. And sometimes, even in the midst of obedience, right, storms happen. Things take place around us. And, and it causes anxiety, it causes agony, it causes fear, causes frustration, causes rejection. They were simply being obedient to what Jesus commanded them to do, and Jesus sees them straining at the oars, this torment, this pain, this agony, still trying to get where Jesus told them to go. And here's a truth, here's a truth to hold on to, another truth. When a believer is in a place of obedience... Right? When you are in a place of obedience, you are in a place of safety no matter what the circumstances. That's what we're going to see here. When you are in a place of obedience and following Christ, you are in a place of safety that He has you no matter what the circumstances are around you. Look what happens, 48. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he tended to pass them by. The fourth watch is about three or six in the morning, seven hours of straining at the oars. Jesus comes walking on the sea. He's walking on that which is the storm in their lives, that which is the problem in their lives. He's walking on it because he's over every storm that you will ever face. Anything that you will ever face, he's over it. He is over it, and he has it in his hands. And, and he intended to pass them by. You know, like, hey, guys, hey, keep rowing. See you on the other side. Right? I mean, I don't think that's what he was doing. I, I believe when you look at, at Ezekiel or Exodus chapter 33 and verses 18 and 23, Moses wants to see God. God says, I'm going to put you in, and I'm going to pass. My glory is going to pass by you. And then we see it again with Elijah. And he tells Elijah, come out. And, and as Elijah comes out, God's glory passes by him. In Job, we, we find this truth that, that Job is talking about how, how secluded um, or how separate God is from, from everyone else. And, and, and he even says this in, in there in, in verse, um, I, I believe, 6, 7, 8, talking about uh, those who stretch out the heavens and then in tramples or he treads over the waves of the sea. Were he to pass by me, I would not see him, verse 11. Were he to move past me, I would not perceive him. You see, in the day of Job, he would not see him. They could not see him and see his, see his face and, and live. And here's the, here's the thing about this passage. I think Jesus is referring to those passages that he's about to pass by them. But this time, instead of like Job where they won't see him, he wants them to see him. He wants them to see the glory of who he really is. 
And I believe the glory of God shone through Christ when he passed, when he intended to pass them by, that they would see and behold the glory of God. And if they didn't catch that, which they didn't, they all saw it and they were terrified. They thought they'd seen a ghost. They thought the abyss was under the sea. They thought these were demons possibly that were coming up and it just adding to their terrified state. But immediately, verse 50, he spoke to them and he said to them, take courage, it is I. You know what he uses there word? It is I. He uses the word ego am I. Ego am I, which is the exact same wording that God used when Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Jesus not only shows himself to be God, he says he's God to them. He, and so he displays for them to see that he is God who sees them in their struggle, but he is the God who enters into their struggle. Jesus will enter into your struggle whatever it may be, because he wants to be secluded with you. And so does the storm stop? No. Peter even says, Lord, it would be safer for me to be on the water with you than in the boat without you. Command me to come. And Jesus commands him to come. And the storm's still raging and all that. It doesn't stop until when? Until Jesus gets in the boat. And when Jesus get in the, gets in the boat, then the storm stops. Why? Because Jesus was wanting to steal their hearts. He was wanting to bring peace inside their hearts in the midst of the storm that was raging outside. He wanted to steal the storm in their own heart first before he stilled the storm that was raging outside. Because he knows it's the heart that is, is needed at that moment. And that you, when, when, you are, when you know Jesus is with you and you know that he has you, you can face whatever is coming and raging around you. That's what he needed them to understand because these disciples were all going to give their lives except for one, for Christ. They're going to be persecuted beyond what we can fathom. And Jesus first needed to steal the storm in their own hearts so that they always knew that when they're secluded with him, he has them. He has them. This compassionate God of all comfort who has command over the people, has command over the disciples, has command over the boat, has command over the storm. Does he have command over you this morning? Does he have command over you? Are you surrendered to him? laying aside all things in order that you might have a secluded time with Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth that we see with Christ, with his disciples. May this be word of encouragement in our hearts and knowing that the storms that come and rage, that you are the God who brings peace in the midst and in our hearts and that you long for and desire, you have a compassion for us and desire to walk with us and to be with us wherever we go. To you be the glory. Amen.